the Merciful, from the sermon series, Sermon on the Mount, spoken by Pastor Peter on. As a teenager, one of my favorite games I loved to play was a game called Mercy. Now, how many of you have heard of this game? If you have, just write in the chat room that you have, that you've actually participated in the game. Just to give you sort of a, an understanding of this game, what we did in, in a game of Mercy is that you would literally challenge your partner. It was like hand wrestling. You would lock your hands with your opponent's hands, and then what you would do is you would try to bend their fingers backwards, either like this, or you turn their hand around and you bend it like that, to the point where they are literally in so much pain where they will yell, mercy, and then you would win. I was actually pretty good at this game. In fact, there was only two people that were ever able to beat me because I'm a quite a competitive person. The first person is Anthony Coppola, and he's one of our members here at this church. Uh, I couldn't beat Anthony because Anthony is double-jointed. No matter how much I bent his fingers backwards, it just would not hurt him. He would never cry out mercy. So I could never beat him. And the second person is a good friend of mine. His name is Rich Alam. Now, Rich Alam was a professional, I want to say, but he was an amateur junior bodybuilder. I, I met him when I was working with him at Burger King, and, in, and as a teenager in high school, he would enter these bodybuilding competitions, and he would win, he would place in them. So this guy was huge. There was no way I was going to challenge Rich, because Rich would beat me. He was a lot bigger and stronger than me. But one day, as we were working at Burger King, and it wasn't very busy, he said to me, he said, Peter, let me challenge you in a in a match of mercy. And I don't turn down a challenge if somebody challenges me. So I said, let's do it. Let's go. And I knew I wasn't going to win, but I'm going to give it my best. And I did. Probably about 10 seconds into the match, I was thriving in agony and pain. But those who know me, you know how competitive I am, and I would not yell mercy. And I've almost reached my apex of my pain threshold, and he just kept going and going and going. And then all of a sudden, he stops, and he says, mercy. And I look at him and I say, Rich, what are you doing? Why did you say mercy? And he just looked at me and he said, Peter, I saw how much pain I was causing you. And I knew if I went further, I might actually break your fingers. He said, so it's not worth it. So I cried out mercy. Rich taught me more about mercy that day than probably any person that I've met in my life. He was winning this match. He saw how much pain I was in, and he just said it wasn't worth it, and he cried out mercy. Have you ever done that? Have you ever shown mercy to someone even when they didn't deserve it? Even if they didn't ask you for mercy and they did you wrong, have you ever offered somebody mercy? I might have hit a sensitive core with some of you because that's not easy to do, especially if somebody is guilty of hurting you and they have not asked you for mercy, the idea of offering them mercy when they never even asked for it sometimes sounds so counterintuitive to how we're made up and how we feel. But that's the text that you and I have to wrestle with today. Because as we continue in this series on the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, Jesus says in verse 7 of Matthew chapter 5, he says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Jesus is saying that you and I, again, are supremely happy. That word blessed means supremely happy. We are supremely happy when we can show mercy to the unmerciful. And we are supremely happy because when we do that, God will show mercy to us. 
We're going to define what mercy is, and then we're going to talk about how can you and I get to a place where we can grow in mercy in our lives so that we can begin to live a life that's supremely happy. So before we do that, could we just bow our heads for a moment of prayer? God, I know that there are people watching today, and God, that they have been so hurt by the things that people have done to them. People who are even close to them, family members, spouse, children, co-workers, bosses, exes. And God, I know that for a lot of us, we live with the sting of that pain and it's done some real bad things to our soul. And so God, I pray that even now, that you would enter into everyone's home. We pray that your spirit would be there and that you would guide us. And most of all, Lord, that we would sense your presence that would allow us to become courageous in offering mercy to those who sometimes don't deserve it. God, would you teach us and help us to feel the throb of your heart so that we too can grow in something I know that you do so lavishly to your people here. So God, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts watching would be pleasing unto you. And all of God's people said, amen. Well, let's define mercy, all right? So mercy has two components to it that we need to fully understand. I think the first one we kind of get. The first component to defining mercy is mercy is demonstrating forgiveness towards the guilty. Mercy is demonstrating forgiveness towards the guilty. All right? It's those people who have offended you and hurt you. Please understand, Metro, what this means is that you have to offer them mercy regardless of the fact if they ask you for it or not. That's hard to do. We're not very good at offering mercy to people even if they ask for it. But God is saying that we have to offer mercy to them even if they don't even ask for it. That's not an easy thing to do. All right? That's hard. The second component to mercy isn't just forgiving the guilty, but then it's showing kindness to the poor and the oppressed. Now, many of you think that's easy, but we're going to talk today how difficult that can be to demonstrate and show kindness to the poor and the oppressed. If you and I want to get to a place where we can truly be supremely happy, which I know all of you are longing for that, we've sort of gone even our own past to try to find in pursuit of happiness. But Jesus is saying that if you want to be supremely happy, it's about your capacity to offer mercy to the guilty in your lives and also your capacity to offer mercy towards people who are poor and oppressed, perhaps maybe even the people that you have oppressed. And Jesus says that if we want to get to a place where we can be supremely, supremely happy, we have to be willing to do that because then God will show you and me mercy as well. I love what John Stott says. John Stott says in his, in this, in, in, in his commentary, he says this, he says, we cannot receive the mercy and forgiveness of God unless we repent. And we cannot claim to have repented of our sins if we are unmerciful towards the sins of others. Nothing moves us to forgive like the wondering knowledge that we have ourselves been forgiven. God has shown us unfavorable mercy, unending mercy. And as a result of that, he requires us to do the same. So then how do we do it? How do we begin to demonstrate mercy towards the guilty towards people who are poor and oppressed. How do we do that? The first thing is simply this. We demonstrate mercy when we live as God's servants. 
We demonstrate God's mercy when we live as God's servant. Now, uh, servants. Now, we've established this already, that the Sermon on the Mount, these three chapters, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, that we're going to spend entire seven months on this year, are teachings in which Jesus took his disciples, they went to a mountain, and he was teaching them how we can follow him, how we can be a proper disciple for God. And so the teachings that we're dedicating the seven months to here this year, they're teachings that are not negotiable. These are commands that if you and I want to be supremely happy, if we want to walk in the ways of God, if we want to enter into a place of euphoria where we experience that kind of happiness and blessings, we have to be willing to Show mercy to the guilt to those who are guilty and mercy towards those who are considered to be poor and oppressed. Now, how we do this is simply seeing ourselves as a servant, as a slave to God. That's how we do this. The word slave and servant are the exact same words in the Greek. They have the same meaning. Do you see yourself as a servant? I think we have a tremendous disadvantage living in this country, because you and I live in a democracy. You see, when you talk about God and God's economy and how he operates, God doesn't operate in a democracy. Metro, God operates in a kingdom. And when there is a kingdom, guess what there is? There is a king. Who is our king? Our king is Jesus. See, in a democracy, there are no kings. In a democracy, your opinion and my opinion matters. And so we voice it because when we voice our opinions, in a democracy, people will listen because we vote. We can agree and we can disagree. But in a kingdom where there's a king, there are no disagreements. There are no opinions that we share. In a kingdom, you have to realize that we are servants and our role is to get our commands from our king and what we are responsible for is to do our best to demonstrate or to execute whatever command that our king has given to us. You see, we don't see ourselves as a servant when we approach God, but you must because we live as Christians in a kingdom. Jesus is our king and Jesus commands you and I that if we want to be supremely happy, that we have to follow these beatitudes that we've been focusing on for the last couple of weeks. Let me just read it to you one more time. Now, I want you to put on that lens that we are not in a democracy. We are in a monarchy where we have a king, and his name is Jesus. And just understand that our king is the greatest king of all. There is no flaws with this king. This king loved us so much, he came into this world, and he died for us on the cross, resurrected from the dead. That is our king. And the reason why he commands you to do certain things is not to make your lives miserable, it's so that you can be supremely happy. And when you and I listen to his commands, you know what begins to happen? We become more like our king. We begin to absorb and, be, and inherit his character, his integrity, his power, and his authority. Understanding that, let us read how much we've covered thus far in Matthew chapter 5. We've covered verses 3 to 7. And put on your lenses where our king is talking to his servants. Here's what he says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. If you and I 
ever want to get to a place where we could begin to demonstrate mercy to the guilty, to the poor and the oppressed. We have to stop seeing ourselves as necessarily maybe saints or spoiled saints. We must see ourselves as a servant where our king commands us to show mercy. We must do everything we can to follow through with it. Remember the parable of the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18? It's an important parable because you and I have to realize that this is not an option because if you and I decide to opt out of showing mercy to those who are guilty and those who are poor and the oppressed, it says that God will no longer show you mercy. And the greatest example Jesus gives us is in this parable in Matthew 18 of the unmerciful servant. The unmerciful servant is summoned by the king. He goes before the king and he owes the king millions of dollars in debt. That's what he owes the king. The king says, I need to pay that debt now. The merciful servant didn't have the money, so he gets on his knees and he begs him and he says, please, please have mercy on me, master. And what does the master do? He does and he forgives him of all his debt. The unmerciful servant leaves his house and he goes to his home and he has a servant who owes him thousands of dollars in debt. And what happens there is that the, the unmerciful servant asks for the money. He says, you must repay your debt. Well, the servant gets on his knees and he said, please, please, would you have mercy on me? And this unmerciful servant said, no, put him in prison until he pays back all his debt. Well, the king found that out. And once he heard about what had happened, he called this unmerciful servant to him. And here's what he says to him. Now, I want you to understand that what Jesus is doing here is very eschatological in nature. I mean, this is what's going to happen in the end times. If you and I decide not to show and demonstrate mercy towards the guilty and those people who we would call the poor and the oppressed. Look what it says in verse 32, Matthew 18, 32. It says, then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then Jesus says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. Metro, if you are a Christian, then you must take the steps of being a disciple, which means you are God's servant. Your king is Jesus. And our king tells us that we are to show mercy to the guilty show mercy to the least, the last, and the lost. He says, when you do that, you will be supremely happy, but when you don't, your king will judge you. Metro, this is not an option. Our king demands mercy of all of us. See yourself as a servant. Second, we demonstrate the mercy of God when we grow in self-denial. You and I demonstrate mercy when we grow in self-denial. The only way we're gonna be able to grow and demonstrate mercy is when you begin to deny yourself. Now listen, we don't live in a culture where we promote this. The American culture, the Western culture isn't about self-denial, it's really about self-indulgence. And I will say, I think even as Christians, we've done the same thing. We've brought this idea of, into our spirituality that to be a follower of Jesus, we have to indulge, indulge in the things that we want. We've actually convinced ourselves, even within our understanding of God, that God too wants us to indulge our own desires. And if we operate in that way, we won't know what it means to be a disciple. We certainly will not know what it means to be supremely happy. God calls you and I to growing and denying ourselves the desires sometimes that we have within our heart, particularly when it comes down to showing mercy to those who are guilty and maybe to those who we consider to be the poor and the oppressed. 
God is calling us to be merciful. And one of the only way we can do that is if we grow in self-denial, that we say, I am not going to do what I want to do, but I'm going to do what God wants me to do. Because if we don't do that, if we don't show mercy, you know what the end result is? We live in bitterness. And I'm telling you, bitterness is a desire that you and I naturally have because we're broken, sinful people. When we do not show mercy to other people, what we will begin to do is we begin to grow in our bitterness. That's why Jesus is telling you to show mercy because if you don't, you will become extremely bitter. You will. How do you know if you're not living under the mercy of God? Just ask yourself, how much bitterness do I have in my heart today? Based upon that, you will come to realize how little you are living in God's mercy because you are unwilling to give it to others. We have to be willing to grow in self-denial, even denying the right for us to be bitter towards the guilty and those whom we might call the poor and the oppressed. And that's the approach that God wants you and I to do. Metro Community Church, I want you to know something. This might be a shocker for you, but Christianity is not about you. It's not about you. It's about God. It's about Jesus, our King. And our King commands us to show mercy to the guilty and to those whom we would call the least, the last, and the lost. I love what Mark Sayer says in his book, Disappearing Church. He says that Christians today, the majority of Christians today, particularly in the West, he says that they have embraced an implicit gospel, prosperity gospel. Now, I know that within Metro, we stand vehemently against the prosperity gospel, which is that if you believe in God, God will bless you. He'll bless you financially. He'll bless you in every way. We know that that's heretical because that's not biblical because Jesus says if you want to follow him, you got to pick up your cross and follow him. That means there's going to be some hardships in life. That goes against the prosperity gospel. So I think within our church and our community, we, say, we can all collectively say we stand against the prosperity gospel. But the implicit prosperity gospel, many of us have signed up for. What's the implicit prosperity gospel? You know what it is? It's this belief that if I go to church regularly, if I join a small group, if I serve in a church, if I pray, read the Bible, that God's going to bless me. That if I do certain things, that God will bless me. That is the implicit prosperity gospel because at the end of the day then, your faith is really just about you receiving blessings from God. And I want you to know, in the next seven months, as we focus on these three chapters, we're going to realize that Christianity and our faith isn't just about us. It's about our willingness to lay down our lives and pick up our cross and follow our king and follow his commands. We're not going to do that if we're not willing to grow in self-denial. We have to be willing to grow in self-denial if we want to get to a place where we can demonstrate mercy towards the guilty and towards those who are the poor and the oppressed. Third and last thing, we demonstrate mercy when we understand human brokenness. You and I will begin to demonstrate mercy when we can understand the brokenness of our humanity. This is key. The reason why God can truly forgive us and extend mercy to us is because he understands how broken we are as people. And I got to imagine that when Jesus Christ came into this world, God became human. That God grew in a deeper level of comprehension of why human beings so, such has an easy desire or just so naturally this inclination to want to sin. You see, prior to that, I think God probably struggled because God never sins. He's probably wondering, why is it that humans love to sin? It took Jesus Christ to come into this world and live here for 33 years 
to be tempted in every way, as it says in Hebrews, but without sin. That he was able to offer God an understanding of depth of human brokenness that God probably didn't even fully be able to grapple with until Christ came. Pretty amazing when you think about that. If we ever want to extend the mercy towards those who are guilty towards us, we have to be willing to understand their brokenness, their human brokenness. We have to grow in that. One of the best ways for us to do that is just to ask God to help you to see that. Now, it will never make what they did to you right. That's not what I'm saying. But it allows you to understand their brokenness so that you can offer them mercy. The reason why God is extravagant in offering us mercy is because he understands the depth of our human brokenness. And we as Christians must do the same as well. I grew so much when I started to grow, get into this place that uh, prior to seminary, back in 2000, I went out to Fuller. And prior to that, you know, my father and I just had a cordial relationship. But my father and I didn't have necessarily a great relationship because we had a broken relationship. My father was abusive physically to our entire family. And we never talked about it. We just kind of, kind of you know, placed all that brokenness underneath the carpet, the rug. And we just had a relationship. And it was never close or intimate or even never really had a desire to want to get to know the guy at all. But when I was in seminary for a class, I had to do a whole paper on my family's journey. And so I had about a set of about 40 to 50 questions I had to ask my father. Luckily, he was in California visiting us at the time. And when I started to interview him and asking questions about his past, about his childhood, for the first time in my life, I saw my father just start weeping. And what I saw there, even though he was a, like a 70-year-old man, what I saw there actually was like a four-year-old boy weeping. I learned a lot about his life, and I learned that the reason why this man was, un was unable to properly love his family was because he had, no one had ever loved him in his life. His mother died at a young age. Father never loved him. Stepmother physically abused him. He never experienced love. Now, he never made the things he did to us right but it allowed me to understand his human brokenness so that I could extend him mercy and we could begin to have that kind of relationship. And our relationship got much deeper after that. We gotta be willing to go deeper into understanding the brokenness of people. We just, a lot of us, we just focus on the crime in which they committed against us. And that's all we focus on. You gotta go deeper. Anyone can do that. If you wanna sort of experience supreme happiness, you gotta go deeper and you gotta understand the brokenness of the people whom hurt you, who hurt you. That's key. The second component of this is going deeper and understanding the brokenness of the poor and the oppressed. We have to be willing to do this. This is not easy to do. I think this is probably even harder to do sometimes than even trying to understand the brokenness of the guilty. Because what God is calling you and I to do, is he's calling us to go and to see the poor and the oppressed and not just see them as people who are in need, because in many ways that's disrespectful to that community, but to go to the poor and the oppressed and to try to put ourselves and understand their human brokenness. That's a whole different level. And that's never easy to do. So just let me give you the most clearest example. As parents, as parents, our, if you have little children, you are in a position of power. What you have to do as parents, if you want to have a healthier relationship with your child and you want to extend them the mercy and you want them to extend you mercy, you have to try to put yourself in their position and ask yourself, I wonder what it's like for them to be raised by me. I wonder what they would feel by how I parent them. 
You see, that's an incredible place to put yourself in. It's putting yourself in an incredible vulnerable position and also a position where you will begin to look at areas where you may need to grow so that you can grow in greater mercy and love and care. In a few days, it's going to be February, and February is Black History Month, and we try to celebrate that here as a church. But if we're going to take this command seriously, Metro Community Church, we have to ask ourselves that black and brown people in this country have sustained tremendous blows, tremendous blows in the history of our country. They've sustained tremendous blows from the hands of people in power, predominantly those who are white Americans. Now, before I go into this, I just want to preface something. If you are white and you come to Metro Community Church and this is your home, I just want you to really know, and I'm not trying to blow smoke up your butt, I really mean this from my heart. You are truly one of my heroes. You really are. I will never know what it's like to have to surrender power in this country the way you've had to and be a part of a church where you submit yourself to ethnic leadership. You honestly are one of my heroes and I wish more people could be like you, honestly. But if you are white Americans, what I want to encourage you today is that I want to encourage you that if you really want to live out the principle of showing mercy to the poor and the oppressed, what you have to ask yourself is how? How has white privilege, maybe not you exactly through your actions, but how has my lineage, right? Because my good buddy Peace Cazero says this, oh yeah, Jesus might live in your heart, but guess what? Grandpa lives in your bones. How has my past, my upbringing, my family, how they have seen black people and brown people affected the way I see black and brown people? And you got to put yourself not in your position, but in the position of the oppressed. That's truly growing in mercy when you begin to understand the brokenness of the oppressed. That's what God calls all of us. Asian folks, I know Jesus lives in your heart, but Grandpa lives in your bones. And I can only speak for my tribe, the Koreans. Time and time again, we grew up in hard neighborhoods when we immigrated to this country. We've had interactions with black and brown people and some of them have been really bad. Our parents have sort of given us a narrative that we are to sort of, they, we downloaded and we use that narrative in how we see black and brown people. And the best way in how we today can show mercy to the poor and the oppressed is put ourselves in the position of the oppressed and see that these oppressed people have fought so hard for civil rights for this country that we have been able to experience blessings from. And I believe what the black community really wants is respect from Asian Americans because so many times they don't feel like they're getting it. They don't want money, they just want respect. We're not gonna be able to do that if we don't put ourselves in the position of how we have also oppressed the black and brown community because of how we see things and how what our parents has helped us or unfortunately given us lenses to look at certain people. Can I talk to our black and brown people? This is important. Yes, you've been oppressed. But Jesus says that you are to forgive the guilty. You are to show and extend mercy to the guilty. And so while the people who are put in places of power are trying to understand the brokenness from a posture of from your place, your challenge now is to try to understand the brokenness of those who are in power. 
that sometimes when you have power, it's not that easy to use it for good. In fact, power corrupts humans. It does. And that for our black and brown community, my goal and my hope for you is that you would offer and be an extension of God's mercy to white people. I know how hard that might be. I know this ask is not an easy ask, but it's not my ask. Jesus demands it of us. We are his servant. And he is our king. And he wants us all to be a community where we can truly show mercy, extend it, demonstrate it, and release it and receive it. I like to think over the years uh, since I planted this church, uh, I have been a tremendous proponent for women, particularly women in ministry. I come from a culture, Korean culture, where uh, it's very patriarchal, where women are put down usually, men are in power. Men have used their position of power to oppress Korean women, and that's sort of my heritage. I also was a part of a very conservative Christian church growing up, and in that conservative Christian church, we did not believe that women should be ministers. We did not believe that women should hold leadership positions in the church. And so that's my background. That's sort of how I grew up my, my life. And when I went to seminary back in 2000, that is my understanding, and that's kind of what I believed in. And when I went to Fuller Theological Seminary, one of the best places to go, they rocked my world in this. We spent time studying the scriptures, and I realized how wrong I was. And when I realized that, I started Metro, and our, my hope was that I would do the best I can to embrace women in ministry and allow them to be in leadership positions. I mean, it was a passion of mine. I chose a denomination specifically on a few criterions, but one of which was, do they ordain women in ministry? That was a big thing for me. And so I like to think I've come a long way. I really have, but... About a week and a half ago, I realized how much more I have to go. I, uh, I work out with a, with a community, uh, a gym. It's called Maven Center. Uh, some of you might know it if you follow me on social media. A good friend of mine is the owner of it. It's a cross-training gym, a cross-functional gym. I work out about four to five times a week. And for the last three or four months, we've been doing these crazy physical challenges to raise money for organizations, for nonprofits around the country. And in January, we did this 30-minute challenge of bear crawls and farmer carries. You had to carry a third of your weight. So you get on a scale, and of course, I was the biggest guy there. I had to carry the most weight. And you got to do this for 30 minutes nonstop. And it's competitive because there's always a winner at the end. And so in this group, there were uh, five men and two women. One of the women is a woman by the name of Erica West. Erica, I remember when I first met her about a year and a half, two years ago, uh, I was amazed by what she was doing. She was kettlebell swinging 75 pounds, and I can't even do that, and she's half my size. I remember I asked Taylor, I said, who is that woman? And he said, that's Erica. Erica is intense. She's a Division I athlete, and indeed she is. Erica and I have been working out together since, and nobody pushes me as hard as Erica. She always pushes me super, super hard. About a year and a half ago, two years ago, Erica saw on social media that we were going to take a long bike trip from New Jersey to Boston. And she wanted to be a part of it. She wanted to raise money for Zamelli, and so she joined us. I asked her, I was like, did you ever ride a bicycle? She said, never. I was like, okay. And so, but she did it. Man, she did it. And she joined us again this year, uh, this past summer. And we raised a ton of money, and we went all the way up to Portland, Maine. Erica has become a friend. She actually was going to go out to South Africa last May, but we couldn't because of the pandemic. And so, and the most, the coolest thing is Erica has now joined our church. 
She's been a part of our church. She's helped out with the food pantry. She comes out before the pandemic began. She came out every week. And so she's a part of the life of this church. And, uh, and so I just wanted to give you a little background to her. But then we did this competition for 30 minutes. We raised about $1,800 for Zamele. And Erica blew us all away. Nobody even came close to what she did. And she did. And so I, I thought I was paying her a compliment. I said to her, I said, hey, Erica, way to emasculate us men. And she laughed and chuckled and she said something back and, and trying to be a good sport about it. And then she got in the car and she went home and she started to reflect how hurtful those words were because the, the, they were not the first time she's heard those words. And as a result of this, she decided to shoot a video on Instagram and just to share with some of her followers because she's a leadership coach and she wanted to share this video and I want to show you this video and the person she's talking about, even though she tried to generalize it, is me. And I want you to watch this video. Can we go to tape, Isaac? I need to talk to you guys about something really important, about the power of language and how that language affects our mindset. And this is particularly for women, <clears throat> for men and women, but I want women to hear this as well. So last night I was at Maven for their monthly uh, fitness fundraiser and we've been doing these challenges every month and donating money to a charitable organization and it's so much fun and it's uh, tough on the body. So um, last night's competition <clears throat> was farmers carries and um, bear crawls and uh, I did <laughs> I did pretty well. I did nonstop. I got 98 reps and I got the most reps out of anybody. Um, I was one of two girls um, that participated. And um, as soon as I was done, because <laughs> guys, it was like me versus me. And I felt so good. I was like out of 10. I was like an out of 10. And um, when my friends came over to celebrate, they said, way to go, way to emasculate all the men, way to just take them down. And it was a joke and it was, you know, and I, and you know, I made a joke back um, about it, but I couldn't figure out why my 10 went down to a five. Why my celebration in my head had gone down, oh, it was cut in half. And so I really thought about it because it's not the first time that I've heard that in the gym, <clears throat> here or anywhere, um, you know. Way to emasculate all the boys. <clears throat> Way to go, Erica. Way to emasculate everybody. <sighs> and it's said in jest and I get it, but here's the power of that. Because <clears throat> I, you know, it started to cut into me a little bit. Here's the issue with that, is that as a woman, what that's saying is that when I succeed, that my success, rather than to be just celebrated, would so deeply hurt my male counterpart as to emasculate him. So, my, just not because I was disrespectful or because I physically hurt somebody or, no, no, my, just, just me succeeding 
Me doing well. My accomplishments cause pain. Emasculating pain to my male counterpart. That my success <clears throat> is not a celebration, it's a punishment. That's what that phrase means. The way to emasculate them. No one, <laughs> for a long time, women have been put in an inferior position, right? And so that phrase just means stay small. Stay small, don't do well, because your success is painful. And who wants to cause pain to somebody else? And when a man hears that, that they've been emasculated by a woman, that then they should feel small because they didn't get a few more reps, that they didn't get that promotion, instead of celebrating their female counterparts for getting the promotion or, or winning the competition, that they should feel small, that they should feel like they're, they're less of a man, they're less of who they are as a human because, because, because a, a woman was successful. I'm not in the business of playing small. We shouldn't be made to feel small for our victories. And this is just a lesson in language because we say these things without thinking about what we're really saying when we say that. What we're really saying to, um, to men and what we're really saying to women. I've been fasting social media for the past month and uh, a friend of mine called me. It was somebody who was there at this event. And she said, you gotta watch Erica's video. And I had really no idea what it was about, but she said, just, just please watch it. And I did. And I was horrified. Because here I was, I thought I was paying somebody a compliment. And what I was doing was that I was taking away something successful that someone had done by using a statement that continues to put down women and put them in a place where they many times feel oppressed. It took an incredible amount of courage for what Erica did. Some of you guys and maybe some of you men are like, well, why didn't she call you and tell you directly? And I want you to understand something. It's so hard for the oppressed to confront their oppressor. I'm a man, I'm her pastor, it's not easy to do that. And what she did was tremendously courageous because she put out a video that eventually allowed me to see it and other men and women to watch to allow us to realize that if we're gonna extend mercy to those who are guilty and to those who are the poor and the oppressed, we have to be willing to put ourselves in the position of the oppressed and ask ourselves, help me to understand your brokenness. And that's what Erica did for me. I called her and I said, would you please forgive me for what I've done? And of course she did. She said, thank you so much for acknowledging that. And, uh, and I just said, could we still work out together? She said, absolutely. And I just said, Erica, you know, could I give you 
permission to come and speak to me anytime I say something like that or anything of that nature. But I did make one promise to her. I said, Erica, I will never say that again to you or to any woman or to anyone ever again. It will die on that day that I said it to you. Thank you for sharing that with me and convicting me on that. I want to believe that my relationship with Erica is even stronger now than it was even before that happened. And that's the power of mercy. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Jesus says, you will be supremely happy when you take that route of life, showing mercy to the guilty, showing mercy to the poor and the oppressed, especially when you try to put yourself in the position of the oppressed and understand their brokenness. So will you today live as a servant to King Jesus? Will you grow in your self-denial and will you begin to grow in your understanding of human brokenness? Let's pray. I'm going to give you a moment just to connect with God here. I don't know how he's speaking to you, but if he is, let him. Don't stop it. Whatever you might be sensing or feeling or whatever it might be, sometimes we have a tendency to stop it, but don't. Just let God come. Let him speak to you. If you find yourself getting emotional, just let it go. Let the tears come because there needs to be healing. That needs to happen. Maybe for some of you, this might be the first time that someone ever encouraged you to put yourself in the position of the oppressed because you've never done that because maybe you've always been in the position of power. You were always the boss. You were always the head of everything you did and you never ever put yourself in a position of those that might be under you and maybe ever been challenged to try to experience what life might be under your power. And so why don't you just go to him, connect with him, but here's the thing that I want you to do. I want you to make a commitment to God that you will do whatever you can to be merciful towards the guilty and merciful towards the poor and the oppressed. Why don't you just go to him and then I'll close this in prayer. Lord, I pray that you would help us all because we struggle in being extensions of your mercy to people who have hurt us, people who are guilty of hurting us, and those people who are considered poor and the oppressed. You didn't say give them compassion. You said mercy. And mercy doesn't happen unless we're willing to put ourselves in the position of the oppressed. So many of us have never done that because as humans, we're just naturally drawn to power and dominance and all that kind of stuff. It's the brokenness of humanity. We've never ever tried to understand the brokenness of the oppressed and even asking the question, how has my power oppressed those under me? God, would you be with our church? Would you help us to see that we don't live in a democracy, we live in a kingdom where you are our king and you give us your orders and we are to execute those orders the best we can. Help us to execute the order of showing mercy to the guilty and to the poor and the oppressed so that we can bathe in your mercy for us. May we be able to experience supreme joy and happiness as we do that. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you take 
open up your communication card on your app uh, or emetro.org slash Sunday. You can get the communication card there. There's some next steps that I want you to take because it's not about you just listening to the word, but now you got to respond to it, okay? First, I'm committing my life to Jesus for the very first time. If you've never done that, please check that off and we will get back to you. We really will. We'll get back to you this week. Second, I will journal and share areas where I struggle to see myself as a servant disciple of God. Would you journal this week and just start sharing areas where you might struggle to see yourself as a servant disciple of God. Third, I will reach out to someone this week and ask for mercy. I will reach out to someone this week and ask for mercy. Fourth, I will take intentional steps to extend mercy to someone I am bitter towards. This is about you extending mercy to the guilty, regardless of them asking for mercy or not, that you would do so this week. Fifth, this is one of the best prayers that I've implemented over the last couple of months, and I wanted to share it with you, give you something that's helped me so much. I will pray every day this week, Jesus, please help me to understand sin the way you do so that I don't live in it anymore. Would you pray that prayer every day? I journal it every day. Jesus, please help me to understand sin the way you do so that I do not live in sin anymore. And the very last thing, I will receive prayer at the virtual prayer room today, directly after this sermon.